and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Last week, I was speaking to chronic illness advocate Samah Khan about her process of redefining success when chronically ill. Samah shared incredible pearls of wisdom, so I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one. To recap, Samah was in her penultimate year of medical school when her mysterious and chronic symptoms started. She was spending more time in the hospital as a patient than a medical student. She graduated, but her physical symptoms forced her to give up practicing medicine, her passion in life. Sama spent the following years searching for her diagnosis, having doctors dismiss her, and managing her new reality. Sama was finally diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, fibromyalgia, and joint hypermobile syndrome, or Ehlers-Danlos. But to this day, she says doctors are unresolved on her conditions, leading her to suffer from improper management. Samas' life turned upside down, and she says redefining success for herself was instrumental in giving her life meaning and purpose and allowing her to move forward. She now works as a medical editor and writer, and one of her proudest accomplishments is a community she started on Facebook, where many chronically ill go for support and just a good laugh. Sama believes the day we decide we are good enough is the day we set ourselves free. Don't let the world define what success looks like for you. You define it. And to remember that that success and progress look different for everyone. Listen to the rest of Sama's interview as she shares more about the difficulties of redefining success when dealing with others' expectations, as well as her unique perspective on the medical profession especially towards chronic illness, as she was a graduate of medical school and now a chronic illness patient. Let's tune in. Don't want to be inspirations, but we, the purpose, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of the purpose is for ourselves and not for anybody else. It's just to give ourselves a sense of belonging and a feeling that we are putting something out there that is, you know, larger than us. And, but that's just for us. It's for nobody else. It's hard because so much in our life is taken away when you get sick, but you do gain like such a perspective on life and you either appreciate what you do have a lot more, but you also realize what's really important because nothing else really matters. And so it definitely gives us more perspective, I think. And I've met even younger people that have chronic illness and they seem so much wiser in their years. You're just like, wow, because of everything they've gone through, you're like, okay. And it's not fair. And it's not right that things like this happen. We're, you know, that's just, but it's life. 
you know, to redefine your success will help you on the road to kind of finding life again, finding that life, finding a joy again in life, because for a while it just seems so dark. Exactly. Like I said, like, you know, the, the day that you decide that you're good enough for yourself is the day you set yourself free. And then you start feeling like, you know, you're a success. And if you redefine that success, it can be anything. Once you've redefined it, it can honestly be anything. Because yeah. then you have decided that you're not letting the world set expectations for what that success is. You are setting the bar yourself as to what that success is. And that's basically what I did, you know, for myself. I stopped letting the world tell me that, hey, you know, you're 31 and you should now be doing this, 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 and you should be married and you should have all of this. I just told myself, listen, I consider myself a successful person because I, you know, um, I consider myself a good person and I've done good for for people that I care about and in and I've not harmed anybody and I consider that to be successful enough you know and that's it that's my bar I know it's a low bar but it's a bar an example of like how you can redefine success for yourself as as a chronically ill person or, or as anyone Yeah, sometimes for me, like when the pain's really bad, my idea of success for that day is if I was able to get up and shower or, or if I was able just to survive the day, like if I'm able to get through that day, get through the pain, get through the worst of it, then that was successful. I mean, that was a successful day. And it's even if you just tell yourself that for a long time, like you fake it till you make it kind of thing. and that took me time too. Like I had to do that. Like I had to kind of tell myself that. And then the more I told myself that, the more I believed it. That's how you're overcome, overpowering your, you know, you're using logic to overpower, you know, the emotional, the limbic system, the emotional responses in your brain. You're using that when the the repetition really does help because you really are faking it till you're making it. You're just telling yourself that until you believe it. And that's how it it takes a while, but. No, and you can pull away like, when you're so emotionally charged in it, which you, how can you not be? I mean, natural, but when you pull yourself out and I found meditation was helpful for this as well, but uh, when you pull yourself out and you can look at it more logically and you say, okay, here are all the hardships I'm facing. And yet I'm still getting up uh, or I still shower today, or I did this today. You see it from a viewpoint of like, wow, like, you know, I'm dealing with a lot and I'm still, here and I'm still doing this and this, you know, or, or I'm still, you know, whatever that is to you. But it, if you start to kind of pull from that a little bit more and really recognize the difficulty that you've been going through and say, wow, like I really went through a big life change. I've gone through all this. I'm going through this pain and look at me. I'm here. Exactly. You know, that's something that I always wish that that was a perspective that I think you can only have when you have gone through sort of the sort of hardships that we have because my this is something that I've always wished for example my father to have seen because he you know he's so focused on his loss in in what he's lost with me that I remember I said to my mother once I said you know he he's so focused on grieving what he's lost that he's not rejoicing the fact that he has a daughter who's still able to wake up with a smile on her face, despite all that he's lost. If I was, if I was the father, if I was the parent of a child that had lost everything that she thought was dear to her to an illness, but she was still able 
to get up and function in a day with a smile on her face and still be grateful for, you know, for everything that she hadn't and was still basically, you know, hadn't succumbed to, you know, depression and which I had for a long time, but had gotten out of it. I would be so grateful and overjoyed with just that. You know, and I remember uh, my mother, you know, she looked at me and I, and she saw that I think she she has a mother because mother is a slightly different, you know, from father. She kind of understood that perspective and she realized that that's true as as a parent, you should be really, really grateful that your child hasn't, you know, gone off the deep end when they've had, you know, this ex life experience, rather than focusing on the fact that, you know, on the whole woe is me aspect, which is where Kind of where he is even though it's been eight years now but he hasn't adjusted to that but if i put myself in issues and i you know had a if i had a child i would be sad but at the same time i would think wow you know she's still here and she's still able to to smile and laugh and and you know get up and get through the day and do whatever she can and she's still able to find something that she enjoys doing. And I still found something that was, you know, at least in adjacent to my career. And mm -hmm. I did that, you know, mostly, I think I did it to stay like relevant in, you know, in my job, in my field, and also to, to not forget like everything that I've learned, but I've done it also so that he would be happy that I was doing something more than anything else. I did it, mm -hmm. you know, for him, but I think that, um, it's, it's hard to see those perspectives unless you're in our shoes. Mm -hmm. and I, but I'm very glad that he's not in those shoes. You know, mm -hmm. we want people to get that perspective, but we don't want them to, to have to experience what we had to get there. Right. Because it's a very difficult thing to experience, to learn yeah. it. Yeah, you don't wish that on anybody. And oh. I know I said I put a pin in it, so I'm unpinning. Um, yes. You know, you do. When I had our first interview, um, I was so excited to discuss this because, you know, we've had so many podcast guests on that have, you know, shared different stories with doctors, good and bad, good and bad, really. And they were all saying the medical profession, you know, they just aren't grasping what the chronic ill need as a patient. Yeah. And I just want to know your thoughts as someone who has actually gone through the medical training and, yeah. you know, been trained, like, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what do you think? I mean, now that you were a, you know, basically a doctor and now you are a chronic illness patient. So, um, I, so there is a very clear gap in the medical profession where doctors tend to disbelieve patients or get disinterested in figuring out the diagnosis for a chronic um, like a chronic illness patient after a certain point of time. So they are interested in puzzles to a certain point. Most doctors are interested. They're in, like, I'll give you an example with my own situation where in the start, they were interested because it looked like it could have been an interesting case. But as soon as things started coming back negative or x-rays and MRIs started coming back with you know, with nothing remarkable, that's it. I was, you know, no longer an interesting case. And I became, you know, relegated to the, the burden department or the nuisance department. So this is, this is just how it is. There is, when I was, when I was trained, there was nothing, there was no chronic illness 
training. There is no training for these patients because there is no appreciation and there is no, you know, there are, you do, you do recognize that there are patients that have one major illness and then they may have comorbidities, which is like they have multiple other illnesses that go with it. And we learn how to manage those patients, but there isn't really anything for patients like us. And I would think that most doctors just have absolutely no idea what to do with us. And that's that's been our experience. And mm -hmm. another problem is that there is really no clear communication between different departments. So when you get referred from one department to another, unless you're in, in unless you have some cases like cancer, you know, cancer patients, there are very few cases in which are very, very few hospitals. I, I've not really seen any in my personal like time when I was training where once you were referred, the department that referred you had washed their hands of you, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is no real communication. They kind of exist in their own independent um, silos. So they, they don't really care what's going on. Once they've referred you, you're the other person's problem and that's it. So once you're, so if you're, you were in rheumatology and they discharged you as a patient and you were sent to pain clinic, you are the pain clinic's problem and rheumatology doesn't want to hear about you. So there is no multidisciplinary care. Sometimes they pretend there is, but there really isn't, you know, mm -hmm. that is, and unfortunately, I know for a fact that patients like us are seen as a nuisance and a burden. You know, personally, uh, a family friend who has rheumatoid arthritis, and they are a general physician, and they said this to um, my sister when they were talking to them and, and, and they, uh, talking to her and they know that my sister, one of my sister's uh, diagnoses, because she has the exact same diseases that I have, except that uh, our severities are slightly different. So my sister is a practicing physician and she told my sister, oh, I hate it when I see fibromyalgia patients. I hate fibromyalgia patients. So this is, this is a practicing physician. So this is just a reality that we are seen as as, as patients that are a burden and a nuisance. Mm. Nobody knows what to do with us. We have a lot of complaints that overlap with a lot of other illnesses and doctors are duty bound to rule out a lot of other diseases. They don't really want to do it. They don't care that much because it's not interesting enough. And you know they don't want to run all these tests that are most likely going to come back negative. Um, and another problem is that doctors most doctors, and I would probably venture to guess about 80 to 85% of doctors prioritize objective evidence over a patient's um, subjective experience. Mm -hmm. This is a major problem and it impacts um, how they manage patients and eventually it impacts the patient's quality of life because if you only go over, yes, objective evidence is very important, but it doesn't always tell you the complete story because medicine doesn't know everything yet. It doesn't explain everything yet, you know? And I love giving this example, um, which is an analogy my, my sister, um, you know, came up with that it's only been a hundred years since we've recognized, um, you know, asthma as asthma. We used to diagnose people who have asthma now, who we know have asthma as hysteria. They used mm. to be diagnosed as people with hysteria, and now we know how serious asthma is. So we are the hysteria of today to these doctors, you know, and I'm eventually they're going to know the pathophysiology of 
these diseases, especially the fun so-called functional diseases like fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. chronic fatigue syndrome, and all these diseases that they really don't care about. Um, and most doctors just want to shunt us out the door uh, with minimal management. Eventually, they're going to realize, you know, eventually there's going to be resources and research put into this. They're going to discover the, the pathophysiology of these diseases, and we are going to be the new asthma. Basically, they're going to realize this is serious, and these people were not lying. They really are suffering, and we are going to get the validation we deserve. And what that validation means is that doctors will change their approach towards us. But until that happens, that approach is not going to change, unfortunately, because patient doctors will always prioritize um, objective evidence over anything else, unless they see it on your labs or in an x-ray or in an MRI, you know, it's, it doesn't exist. And that's just sad. Um, the, the best doctors that I can think of, and this has only happened, and I've probably seen a million doctors, you've probably seen a million doctors, and this has only happened to me two times, where uh, one time there was a doctor, a pain doctor that says we treat uh, the patient and not the x-ray and I I wanted to marry him on the spot because I was yeah. amazing but you know even despite him saying that I still did not get adequate pain management he still gave me you know but that was because of, of the, the protocol in, mm -hmm. in the country that I was in he couldn't give me more than what he gave me but I, I still appreciated the sentiment because he looked like he believed it when he said it and another doctor that when I was leaving his clinic, he looked at me and he said, I believe you, I believe that your pain is real. And that was extremely important to me. The, rheumat the, the rheumatologist that I've been following for years does not believe that I have, you know, the diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis. This is something that was, you know, a back, back doored in through the diagnosis of my sister who wanted from a different rheumato rheumatologist because we have identical symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, my rheumatologist is a Puritan. He wants, you know, exact numbers, you know, exact. He, he basically wants us to fulfill the criteria as is in a textbook. Otherwise, he doesn't care. Which could have been written, gosh, no, or done how many years ago and not read the protocols, yeah, exactly. not redone in the last decade. Exactly. Now that we know more information, but the protocol is yeah. 10 years old. Exactly. And, he, and also he may not, he hasn't even seen me in a few years. So he doesn't even know if my symptoms have changed, if my symptoms, you know, so it's just, there's so many, there's so many factors and he hasn't taken that into consideration. So it's just, we are currently the, the approach to, of doctors towards chronic illness patients is, like I said, it's how they used to treat patients with asthma back then. They were the hysteria of that time. We are the hysteria of today. I'm just hoping that, um, you know, there's more research and more money put into, more resources and money put into research for these, these illnesses. And that is the only way to get doctors to change their approach. You're right. It is. It was funny. I was talking to a podcast guest yesterday yes. and she said, wouldn't it be interesting if part of medical training was if they had to be a patient for like a month or two, like they had a fake illness that they were given and they had to call doctors and get like, go to the appointments, have, you know, pretend tests or whatever, and then even have some of those tests come back negative. And then, you know, but like have like a mock 
like chronic illness thing. And I thought that is a great idea. Like to just, so they a know about the patient experience, because I think a lot of doctors forget until they have their own medical experience. And then they're like, ugh, you know, going to the doctor is not great. And the anxiety that goes with it and all the other things that go with going with the doctor when you are sick. And I think they forget. And then I just, I love that idea. I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, this is a fantastic plan. And to give them some empathy for the fact that of what we're going through and how many doctors we have to see and how exhausting that can be to go from one doctor to the other doctor. And the doctor's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Go to this doctor. And you're like, great, thanks. I think that that would be an amazing idea. Unfortunately, I know. It's not practical, <laughs> but it is, it is, it is actually a really, really good idea because there is no other way to really, really teach them that. I remember on the day that we got our results um, and, you know, I knew that I passed and I got my degree, we had a ball. This was not the official um, white coat ceremony. This was just like a party before that. And I, the, the senior psycho coordinator, he came up to me and he told me, oh, this is going to make you a better doctor, you know, your experience, because he knew what I'd been through because, you know, I was, he'd seen me all for the whole year. And he said, you, this is going to make you a better doctor because, you know, you've had an experience as a patient. And I just nodded and I walked away because I knew in my heart I was never going to get to practice, but I nodded and I walked away. But you know, it, it was funny that he knew that in order to be a better doctor, you do need, need to experience life as a patient, but it clearly doesn't change, um, you know, um, most doctors' approach. And yeah. I have this, this, this theory that, you know, not theory, but I have this doctrine that I really wish that doctors would put into effect, and it's this doctrine of that you should believe a patient a hundred times before you even even consider disbelieving them. I would rather that a a doctor treated a patient that didn't need to be treated rather than not treat a patient that needed to be treated. And in terms of, and I don't mean, and I don't mean, you know, treat with serious diseases. I mean, at least with the very least pain management, symptom control, basic things that everybody is entitled to. I would rather that people that didn't need it got it than people that didn't, you know, that really, really needed it didn't get it. Because that's what's happening right now, that most doctors are like, okay, we don't want to risk that you're somebody that doesn't need it. So we're just not going to give it to you, even though most likely you need it. And that's what happens. Like that's, that's what I've heard from a lot of other people with chronic pain and chronic illness, where they are you know, um, shunted from one doctor to another, and every doctor is like, "Okay, we, you look like you need it, but we're not sure, so we're not going to risk this." So, yeah. uh, it's it's just not fair because you are using a bias with no evidence, and it's hurting patients. It is well, and I think the opiate epidemic caused a lot of that for the chronic illness community, and I understand it's a serious, serious problem. But it did, it caused the doctors to give great pause and be very intimidated on giving out certain medications to people that really need it or people that have a high pain tolerance or a high tolerance to pain meds, or it sends off alarm bells. You know, when I would go to the doctor and they'd look at my medication list, it was like, ding, 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 ding. You're on pain medication. And I'm like, 
yes, I've had three neurosurgeries and been cut and I have chronic pain. And it was like, Ooh, you know, and it automatically put me in a different box with them because they were just like, Oh, and I, I wasn't even there to get medication, but it was just the fact that I was on it and that freaked them out. And so it definitely changed, but you're right. Believing the patient and it really does make all the difference when the doctor validates, even if they don't fully treat, like say they don't want to do, you know, do no harm. Like they don't want to give you a medication that they think is going to hurt you, not help you if they're not entirely sure of your diagnosis, but to even just validate, I'm hearing you. It's, you know, I believe that you're hurt. You know, I believe in your symptoms. I just, you know, here is my problem with giving you this medication because of the protocols in place right now. And it's, you know, kind of like my hands are tied, but, but still, I mean, that's better than just saying, you know, your symptoms aren't real. You're making this up, go home and get over it. And that's what happens to so many people, especially like you said, with the functional, I mean, so many people with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, and honestly, Ehlers-Danlos, it's sad because I I'm learning so much about Ehlers-Danlos through this podcast. And it isn't as rare as everybody likes to say, especially in the medical community, because they're like, oh, it's rare. And I'm like, is it though? Like, and why isn't there more on this? Because there's stuff, but honestly, like there really isn't like the meat and potatoes that we need on Ellis Downloads yet. And the, and I understand it's difficult because there's so many different types and so many different symptoms, but it is shocking to kind of learn about it. Like as a, as a, like as an outsider who doesn't, you know, I'm just learning and I'm just like, what? And, you know, so many people are like, oh, it's not that rare. Like, you know, it, they say one in 5,000, I think, or something like that. But, but in reality, I think more people have it. And it just goes undiagnosed. It does. It does. It is one of those things that is more prevalent than we think it is, but it just goes undiagnosed. And a, and a lot of people probably, you know, maybe asymptomatic or may not suffer from it or struggle with it and some people obviously have varying symptoms and it overlaps with a lot of other chronic illnesses as well that may get diagnosed while that doesn't get diagnosed so you know that just adds into the problem and the reason you don't read about it I don't have a lot of evidence-based information is that the only way you can have evidence-based information about something is if there is some entity that is willing to put money into research. If there is nobody to put money into research, there is nobody to do the research. So unfortunately, unless there is a way for a pharmaceutical company or a hospital or somebody to make money out of it, they're not going to put money into, so unless and until we are profitable in some way, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, mm -hmm. with the rise of us in prevalence in general, or how much, um, you know, coverage we're getting now compared to earlier, maybe it might change. But until we're profitable, there's not going to be that much money put into research. And that's just, that's just yeah. unfortunately the sad reality because, you know, nobody's going to put research into, for example, either a rare disease or a common disease, but that won't make money to a pharmaceutical company or a, you know, uh, or a research mm -hmm. facility. So. No, you're hundred percent right. That's good. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was absolutely incredible. 
I love talking to everybody. It's just, it's wonderful to get to know the chronic illness community in general, because what I have found is they're really incredible people. And they're also so strong and the strongest people I've ever met, really, honestly, in this lifetime with every challenge, they just show me again and again why we're so incredible and how powerful we are. And together, I think we're, we're even more. And I just love that. And I appreciate your time today and for coming on and talking about all this with me. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. And if you'd like to become a part of Samah Khan's Facebook group, go to Pick Sebi because Sebi picks you and send an invitation request. And there are some rules you have to follow, of course. Definitely an inclusive environment. And I have to say, her cats are adorable. So if you love cats and cat memes and other things, like it's, it's just for that alone. <laughs> and then just to have that support system and I'll include it in the episode description as well. So people can find it easily. And again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. It was so good. And thank you all so much to my listeners for tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation today. And I hope you tune in next week to another incredible chronic illness warrior. And remember, you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.